Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the Father of lights. Uh, in you comes every good gift, and we know that you do not change. And we thank you that you gave us the ultimate gift by sending down the Lord Jesus, sending down your word of truth. Thank you that you saved us and caused us to uh, have faith in you. And so, Father, we pray that as we come together now, by your spirit, you implant your word of truth into us. May we not just be hearers of the words, uh, but also doers of the word. So we pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Now, we're currently staying with some friends during our time in KL. They've been very gracious to us, welcoming us into their home, letting us use their things, even loading us their car. And we have a GPS as well, but unfortunately, the GPS can't find their street. So our hostess decided to key in the nearby McDonald's instead and told us how to get back from there. So the next afternoon, we were making our way back from lunch. Everything was going well until we got to the McDonald's. Trouble was, we had forgotten how to proceed from there. So we panicked a little. We, we turned left and we turned right. We made U-turns. We probably even made O-turns going round and round in circles. Now, you'll be pleased to know that we eventually did make it back, although we had to do one huge loop. But what we didn't realize was how close we were to our destination. If we had kept going, we would have realized that we were only a few hundred meters away. If we had kept going and not swerved to the left or to the right, we would have seen our journey's end. If we had kept going and not gone elsewhere, we would have arrived in no time at all. We were distracted. We, we couldn't think clearly. We were fooled. And as a result, we didn't keep going. And it can be like that with the Christian life too. Maybe we get distracted. We worry, don't we, over price hikes and higher bills and less money in the bank. We're concerned about our performance at work or at college, especially since our boss announced an upcoming review or our grades are near the borderline. And so reading our Bibles and praying and meeting together with God's people all gets pushed down the agenda. We didn't intend to, but we don't keep going. Or maybe we can't think clearly. You know, we hear all this talk about the Allah issue and this opinion and that opinion, and our thinking gets muddled. We hear gossip and silly talk and all kinds of godless chatter at our places of work and study, and our minds become fuzzy. And so we begin to doubt the goodness of God's commands and counsel to us, and fail to follow what he says. We didn't intend to, but we don't keep going. Or maybe we're food, where we hear the latest teaching from the latest guru, and what he says sounds so appealing, so alluring. We can't help but find that comfort and security and an uncomplicated, problem-free life is better than Jesus. And so little by little, we stop hanging on to him, we didn't intend to, but we don't keep going. And that prospect can cause us great anxiety, can't it? 
I can think of a friend who, when asked how much he believed in Jesus and in Christianity, confidently declared 100%. He seems so zealous. But sadly, as far as I'm aware, he is far away from God at the moment. And if he can stumble, what about me? How can I keep going in 2014 and 2015 and beyond? How can I stay the course when there are distractions and I can't think clearly? How can I keep going? Well, the Apostle John will help us answer this question in today's passage. We'll be looking at 2 John, a short and much neglected letter in the New Testament. Here in this letter, John is going to help us to know how to keep going, how to stay the course. Now, at first glance, that might not seem obvious. I don't know about you, but when Benedict was reading this letter, did it feel like a very personal letter? It's written from someone called the Elder to someone else known as the Elect Lady and her children. So why are we reading private correspondence between two private individuals? No wonder this letter doesn't get preached much. But it gets worse. In verses 1 and 5, John talks about loving this lady. So not only does this seem like we're reading someone else's private mail, but we're also spying on their romantic affairs. Ew. But have a look again. When we examine the identity of this particular elect lady, there seems to be good reason not to take her as an individual, but to mean a particular congregation or local church. Now, let me just give you three reasons why. You can probably think of more. Firstly, much of this letter is written in the second person plural. So that means that whenever you see the word you in this letter, it actually means something like you are or you people, not just you Tim or you Aisha. Secondly, John has described the church in feminine terms elsewhere, especially as the bride in the book of Revelation. And thirdly, it just seems to fit better with how John talks about truth and love in this letter. You can see if you agree with me as we work through it. But it does seem to me to make better sense if we take the lady to mean a local church and her children to mean its members. And John has a deep love for the people he's writing to. Ten times, in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, he calls them his children. He's writing this letter because he cares for them. He wants them to keep going, to stay the course. And today, he's going to help us do the same by telling us three things. We keep going by prizing the truth, we keep going by practicing the truth, and we keep going by protecting the truth. So number one, we keep going by prizing the truth, by prizing the truth. Verses one to three. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth 
and love. Straight away, we notice that John emphasizes truth from the very start. Four times in the first three verses, he talks about it. Now, in our culture, truth is not always prized. Instead, truth often gets pushed to the side, doesn't it? For some, it's a matter of getting ahead. So in the office, you hear people whispering half-truths and playing games with their words. So what if the truth gets lost along the way? Uh, for others, it's a matter of keeping life simple. Why not just tell a little white lie and keep so-and-so happy? Uh, and life would be so much more straightforward that way. For others, it's actually a matter of morality. A famous psychologist once remarked, the truth is often a weapon of transgression. It's possible to lie, even to murder with the truth. After all, isn't that what terrorists do? Kill people because they think they have the truth. So for some to be obsessed about truth is a dangerous thing. And such an attitude can infect Christians as well. We can think of truth as something aggressive, something that divides, something that turns believers into monsters. And if we are fixated about truth, the thinking goes, then we end up losing love in the process. So, so let's, not just wor- let's not worry about truth and doctrine and that kind of thing. Let's just focus on love and good deeds and so on. That's how the world thinks and that's how some Christians think. But John takes a different view. For John, truth isn't dead orthodoxy, but a dynamic reality. Notice the, truth that impact, uh, that, the, notice the impact that truth has in these opening verses. In verse 1, it is truth that produces love. John can say to this lady that he loves her in truth. And at the end of verse 3, he joins truth and love together. Love can't exist on its own. Now, we probably can't be too precise about what John means by truth here. But at the very least, it must be referring to Jesus himself, who called himself the truth in John's gospel. And it must also refer to all the teachings by him and about him, since John makes reference to the teaching of Christ later on in verse 9. Because I know Christ and his teachings, John says, because I know this truth that transforms me, therefore I have genuine affection for you. I love you in truth. And John goes on to expand this. It's not just him who loves them, he says, but, verse 1 again, all who know the truth. In other words, everyone who expresses faith in Christ Jesus will express love for Christ's body. Again, truth here isn't just dead orthodoxy, but a dynamic reality. Knowledge of the truth as found in Christ produces a deep bond of love between all who share it. It changes people. It's the soil out of which real love and real unity grows. Without this soil of truth, nothing grows, nothing flourishes. So truth isn't a bad or divisive thing, quite the opposite. It's essential. We need the truth to keep going. 
In fact, this truth is the very thing that leads us to the blessings of salvation itself. In verse 3, John says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. He's reassuring his readers. He's affirming them by reminding them of the truth, the truth that 2,000 years ago, God really did send Jesus to die on the cross in our place. And because he did, we can enjoy God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace through him. That's the truth claim the Christian faith makes. But only if we go through Jesus. A few years ago in Spain, uh, a man and his friend were navigating the roads via GPS. It was dark, visibility was poor, and they were in an area unfamiliar to them. As they followed the GPS down this small road, the driver didn't see the end of the road until it was too late. His car dropped into a lake and sank in a matter of minutes. His friend swam ashore, but he died. His GPS was faulty, and it led him to his death. And if we don't go through Jesus, we will be led to our death. That's why Jesus himself in John's Gospel says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. It doesn't matter how loving or sincere we are. If our GPS coordinates are wrong, we are living a lie. But if this man Jesus really is the Christ, if he really is the Father's Son, if he is truly God who saves us, then if we go through him, we will enjoy this grace, this mercy, this peace. No wonder then that John puts such an emphasis on truth. So the first question to ask today is this. Do you know the truth? If you don't, then can I encourage you to seek this truth? Find out who Jesus really is. Perhaps go to the God who is there, which is a course that St. Mary's runs during the week to help you explore the truth of Christianity. And if you do know the truth, then the next question to ask is, do you prize this truth? For if this truth turns us to love, if this truth leads us to salvation, then this truth can definitely help you to keep going. Prizing the truth will help us to stay the course. So treasure Christ the truth. He abides in you if you're a Christian here today. Don't trust in your own heart or your past experiences, but instead just let the truth of the gospel strengthen you. And God will be with you. Number two, we keep going by practicing the truth. By practicing the truth. Now, we've just seen that truth is John's first great priority. Don't you just love what he says in verse 4? I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. It's not truth in the abstract that excites him, but seeing other Christians actually walking in the truth. 
is overjoyed, not at the latest gadget or game, the latest promotion of praise from others, but in seeing people keeping going in Christ. And I'm sure the pastoral staff here at SMAC rejoice when they see you do the same. Do you as well when you see others keeping going in Christ? But notice in verse 4 that it is only some of the children who are walking in the truth. In other words, not everyone is walking the right way. So there is not just a note of joy, but a note of pastoral concern as well on John's part. And this leads us to John's other great priority, verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. John has emphasized truth already, but he also emphasizes love equally. I ask you, dear lady, he says, love one another. Truth and love echo throughout all of John's letters in the New Testament. He's clear that you can't have one without the other. But it seems as if some of John's readers thought you could. They thought that walking in the truth had nothing to do with love. They thought love and truth never had to meet. But John gently suggested them that it's just not possible. To walk in the truth, to practice the truth, he says, is to love. And to hammer this point home, John makes two observations. Firstly, this love is commanded by God. In verse 5, John emphasizes that this is not a new commandment, but one that he had from the very beginning. It doesn't originate from him. Perhaps he is consciously recalling Jesus' words in John 13, that his disciples are to love one another. In any case, the point is, this is not simply human teaching, but God's instruction. Second observation, this love is characterized by obedience. In verse 6, John defines love for us as walking according to God's commandments. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, love means doing what God has commanded us. To work out God's love is to do God's will. To work out God's love is to do God's will. So how do we love our Christian brothers and sisters? It's actually quite simple. We find out what God has commanded us to do in the New Testament and then put it into practice. So on your outline, I've just put a few things that God calls us to do. We encourage and build up one another, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11. We carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6 verse 2. We offer hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4 verse 9. We pray for one another, James 5 verse 16. And we teach one another, Colossians 3 verse 16. And there are many other similar commands in the New Testament, uh, just like that. We are to love one another. But what if our love for each other is weak and faint? How can we keep going? 
Well, remember, we go back to the truth that is Christ. We internalize the truth that he first loved us and imitate our Lord by loving others. Prizing the truth will help us on to practicing the truth. That's how we keep going in our love. That's how we stay the course. But what if we are struggling in our walk already? Should we withdraw? Should we take a break from loving others? Should we look to receive rather than to give? Well, John says something surprising to us in verses 5 to 6. You've probably noticed already that his logic in these verses is a little bit difficult to untangle. It seems to go around in circles. But perhaps try to think of it a little bit like a feedback loop. So what he's saying is this. As I know and grasp what God has commanded more and more, then I will want to love others more. But as I also make an effort to love others more, I find myself wanting to know more and more what God has commanded. Let me say that again. As I know and grasp what God has commanded more and more, then I will want to love others more. But as I also make the effort to love others more, I find myself wanting to know more and more what God has commanded. That's John's feedback loop. And that, John says, is the way to keep going. Don't, don't take a break from loving others. Even when you feel spiritually dry, even when you don't seem to be getting much back from others, the way to keep going, paradoxically, is not to rest from the truth, but to keep practicing the truth. Let's move on to number three. We keep going by protecting the truth, by protecting the truth. Now, think about your younger sister for a moment. If you don't have one, uh, imagine that you do. And you begin to notice that some stranger is making contact with her online. He sends pictures, supposedly of himself, and tells your sister that he's falling for her. He tells her about his own previous heartbreak and how she can restore his soul. But he's evasive about all sorts of other things. Uh, finally, he comes up with a story about how he wants to visit your sister, but doesn't have the money to do so. So could she wire a few thousand ringgit over, please? At this point, you would be very concerned, wouldn't you? If you simply shrugged your shoulders and said, oh, my sister is free to do her own thing. She can believe whatever she wants about this guy. I doubt any of you would say that I was being loving. But if you were interested in finding out the truth, if you're interested in looking out for her and protecting her, then you would be showing love to her. And it's the same with Christians. From verse 7 onwards, John changes his tone quite dramatically. Having been affirming and encouraging in the first six verses, he moves on to warning and exhorting in verses 7 to 11. And that's because he's still concerned about truth. That's because he really does love the church. He's looking out for them. He wants to protect them from those who will lead them astray. 
The reality is such people existed during John's time, as we know from 1 John especially, and such people exist today. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. There are liars around. And so we need to protect the truth. If not, then the consequences are especially devastating. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If you don't stick with the truth, if you don't stick with Jesus, then you lose God. And when you lose God, you lose everything. The language John uses in verse 9 is especially interesting. False teachers are those in John's terminology who go on ahead. In other words, they're seen as progressive. Their teaching is often attractive, but they're being deceptive. And it has devastating consequences. Look at verse 7 again. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. It seems as if one of the things that these teachers were saying was that Jesus was not really human. Okay, you might think that that's not good, of course, but, but how bad is it really? John will tell you, it's very bad. This isn't just some theoretical concern. This has to do with people's salvation. You see, if Jesus is not really human, then he cannot be our saviour. If he didn't come in the flesh, he cannot redeem by his death. One of the early church theologians put it this way, the unassumed is the unhealed. What he means is this, Christ must assume a full and complete human nature because only then can he bring healing and salvation to every aspect of human life. So you see, False teaching is no joke. It has devastating consequences. False teachers might talk a lot about Jesus and still lead us away from Christ and from God and to eternal death. We must never downplay the seriousness of false teaching. We must never say that it doesn't matter. There's a lot at stake here. Protecting the truth is essential to keeping going. You have both the Father and the Son only if you abide in the teaching of Christ in his gospel. No wonder John uses such strong language for the false teachers. He calls them the Antichrist. And that's appropriate because their teaching is a perversion of who Christ is and what he's done. And in the midst of such people, John has two words of exhortation for us. Firstly, he calls us to watch ourselves. Watch ourselves. Look at verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. 
John does not want to see all that work of teaching and discipling and pastoring this group of Christians go to waste. He desperately wants to see them and you at the finishing line. So he says, watch yourselves. And the best way to guard against false teaching is to know the truth. Fake Apple USB chargers look exactly like the real thing. But you need to turn to the back of the device and see if it says designed by Apple in California. That's what real Apple chargers have. To spot a counterfeit, get to know the real thing. I had a conversation with an older believer recently. And, and he told me firmly that he saw no need to go deep and study the Bible. Hiyah, he said, I, I just need to know, believe in Jesus and you'll be safe. Why, why do I need to know all these other things? But as J.C. Rao, an Anglican bishop, once said, nothing supplies false prophets with followers so much as spiritual laziness disguised as humility. Friends, are you being spiritually lazy? Can you spot a counterfeit? Are you getting to know the real thing? Second word of exhortation. John calls us not to receive false teachers. Don't receive false teachers. Verse 10 and 11. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked words. Now the New Testament often calls us to practice hospitality. In Hebrews 13, for instance, we are told not to neglect showing hospitality to strangers. So to have an instruction asking us not to show hospitality is especially striking. It shows us the seriousness of this situation. But what does John have in mind exactly? Does he mean that once we have a disagreement with someone, we can't eat with them anymore? No, not, not quite. Notice in verse 10 that he talks about those who do not bring this teaching. In other words, his warning is not aimed at those who merely believe false teaching, but specifically at those who are active in teaching them. Also, remember that John is writing to a church, not an individual. And so he is talking about a false teacher who is coming into your congregation. And he says, don't receive such a person. Don't give them opportunity to spread their teachings. Don't support their ministry. We can't just say, oh, but he's such a nice person. Surely it's okay. And what about being loving? For the reality is, if we welcome such a person, you are exposing your brothers and sisters in Christ to dangerous heresy. It does not show love to them. Because as we've already seen, false teaching has serious consequences. It can lead to death. Nor does it show love to the false teacher either. Because you are failing to show him the error of his ways. Protect the truth. If not, you won't keep going. The question we asked at the beginning was, how can we keep going? 
And John helped us by telling us three things. We are to prize the truth. For the truth of the gospel is what produces authentic love and saves us. We are to practice the truth. For it is as we walk in the truth and love one another in obedience to God that we can keep going. We are to protect the truth. For if we don't watch ourselves and watch against false teaching, we take part in wickedness and lose God in the end. So my brothers and sisters, are you keeping going in the truth? Are you striving to know God? Are you loving one another? Are you guarding the gospel? If so, then you can be confident of staying the course. And as you keep going and help each other keep going, then like John, your joy and my joy will be complete. Let's ask God for his help now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but we can know you. We can know you through Christ and we can know you through the Bible. And so we pray that your spirit would change us now. Please, would you put this implanted word of truth into us? Would you help us to prize the truth? Help us to love one another, to keep walking in the truth. Help us not to allow false teaching to distract us, to take us away from the right path, but help us to protect the truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to persevere to the end. Help us as your children so that we might gain the full reward in the end the joy of knowing you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.